the Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Hey folks, we're in the podcast studio again from Stoneville, Mississippi. This is Jason Bond with Tom Allen. And today we have Brian Paralisi came over from Starville. Good to see you, Brian. Yeah, good to see y'all. Glad to be here. Absolutely. Good to see you. And definitely, you know, hey, those of you out there that are listening uh, and are on Twitter, follow us on Twitter, Mississippi Crop Doctors, at Crop Doctors MS. Tom being our social media coordinator. Hey, did you put that video that I sent of you talking on the podcast? Did you put that on your Twitter yet? I have not put that on my Twitter yet. I just kind of assumed that you would put that on your Twitter and heckle me about it. No, dude, that's for you. Well, why would I put a video of myself that you took? Well, it's but it's the Crop Doctor podcast Twitter, so it's not Tom Allen doing Tom Allen stuff. There's Okay, perfect. Gotcha. Right. I'm on the same page now. So, Brian, kind of like when we... We've talked to Trent. It's been forever since we've seen you. I guess welcome home. Yeah, I thought I'd be back last week, but uh, you know that didn't work out. For those of you that don't know, Brian is not only from the Delta, but he worked here with us for four four years. Yeah, four four and a half years. While he was in graduate school, so uh, it's kind of double home for him. So if you've been listening to us, what we've been trying to do is just get some information out to you that. We probably would have gotten to you in an, in an extension meeting, whether it would have been the, the short course during the fall, the Ag Expo, all the different places that you see us do our extension talk. So since we didn't have the opportunity to do those, we wanted to get as much information in your hands as we could via the podcast. So Brian's on with us today, and we're just going to talk about all things cotton. Brian, why don't you just start off and kind of give us a sense of, you know, wrapping up the 2020 crop and then moving on towards the 2021 crop as we approach it. You know, 2020 was uh, an odd year all the way across the board, and uh, cotton was the same way. Uh, I would say that, you know, we started out with a higher number of projected acres. We netted out at like 525,000. That's going to be a pretty accurate number. Um uh, prices fell during the right at COVID when it hit to like 52 cents. And I think we, some of those acres went into soybean. And I, I think we'll be real similar to that number this year. I think the latest projection has it like uh, down 1.6%, so like 520. So we're going to be about in the same boat. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a few more acres in that. I'm not saying, I, I think that's kind of our <clears throat> core acres, especially with the competition we're going to see with corn and beans. Well, that's what I was going to mention. I, I know there's a pretty big push on the just nationwide with the corn and bean acres right now. Say I want to plant X hybrid of corn, but it's gone because I can't get the seed. Do you get a sense of how much cotton will pick up if I can't get what I need to? Because the price of cotton has come on up a little oh, bit yeah. too recently. Oh, it's, it's come way up. Um, it's over 80 cents if you look right. at December futures. Uh, so that's, that's a good price. A lot of the guys that I talk to are going to plant cotton, uh, and they're in some kind of rotation. If for some reason they can't get their corn in, it likely could go into cotton, if or you know, obviously beans, depending on if that's in their mix. I think at, at that number, our cotton guys are going to there. That's our cotton guys that are going to plant cotton. So, I think we can look to see that again. Um, 
it, we still had a statewide um, average of a thousand and ninety-seven pounds, right at eleven hundred, which is a good yield. But most of the producers I talked to were a little disappointed compared to what they thought was in the field in August. But man, we had a good fall, all things considered for all crops, but for cotton, not so much because a couple of those rain events, we didn't necessarily get hurricane like we could have got, but there were yeah, some, we some lost, tap taps in there that really hurt we just lost on timing. Little. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, we dodged some bullets, but we still took a few you yep. know, we took a few bullets too, some worse than others. I, I think it might have been uh, Delta that came through on the west side of the state was probably the most affected. I think that's right. I mean, anytime you get into a storm named Delta, I mean, when <laughs> you wrap around into the alphabet the second time, uh-huh. just a very unique year. But, again, in the grand scheme of things, we were pretty fortunate that, that we didn't have more trouble that than we did because it could have been it definitely could have been worse we seem to not take that yeah definitely not the full brunt of some of those storms and we didn't end up with the predicted rainfall that they really had predicted for most of those you mentioned that 1097 pounds for a state average if i'm a grower and i've been clicking 15 1600 pounds consistently that seems for an average seems low uh, and I know that an average is an average, and you know the soybean average. Trent, what did he mention? It was like fifty four when we talked to him. Yeah. And you know, and we know we have guys that cut way high soybean yields. But just explain to folks what factored into that statewide average. Well, it's a very similar thing as like Trent explained earlier. I mean, you're going to have your producers that are you know three bales plus, and and then depending on different regions of the state you're talking about the whole state i mean i i was in several fields where they were picking seven eight hundred pounds nine hundred pounds and their target was eleven hundred so your targets are different i would say that that's a good representative average for what the state has um it might be slightly lower than years past when you think about a state average i think it's respectable and i think that's where we likely would fall but obviously you know there most of the Budgets are projecting uh, an irrigated situation, you know, 50, based on 1,500-pound yield. Moving into 2021, talk to us about our varieties. What are our our mainstays? What are What's new and hot? I think this is going to be the year that we see a, a push to more three-gene BT cotton. There's going to be a lot of two-gene planted because uh, people trust it. You know, your 1646, for example. Um, you'll see a lot of acres of that. But... I've, I, a lot of the producers that have really, let's say, planted that variety, for instance, a lot of those have told me that they're going to change this year. You know, they might plant a little, but they were stepping into the three-gene cotton. So I think we're going to see a lot more of that. As far as from a variety standpoint alone, you know, we have the uh, on-farm OBT guides are out that has a list of all the varieties and how they perform this year. And you can also see where the varieties perform very differently you know, in the hills and the delta. So you're likely going to see um, definitely some del- a lot of delta pine varieties. Some phytogen varieties perform really well in the delta. You're going to see that, uh, especially the uh, some of the nematode, reniform nematode lines, 443, uh, looked really good in the delta. Um, you'll, you'll see that. And then there's uh, some experimental lines that perform really well that are going to be available this year in very limited quanti- quantities. So... 
potentially could see some of that. But I, I think you're going to see every, every seed company has a, a good variety out there. Um, you're you're going to, for instance, you're going to see some next gen. 4936, Stoneville 4990 look good in a lot of places. You're going to see uh, Armor, the number escapes me right now, uh, but it was in the top in the OBTs. Uh, you'll see some of that going out there. Uh, and obviously, uh, you'll see a good bit of 2038 um, Delta Pine, 2012 and 2020 going out. But I will say this, um, 2038, for whatever reason, I think you're going to see it more on the eastern side of the state because um, it performed really well over there. Well, Technology-wise, I mean, you mentioned the 2-gene and 3-gene, and, and for folks that don't do cotton as much, you're you're referring to the insect traits yes. with that terminology, correct? What about our herbicide traits? What do you? What's your sense on are we going to be 80% extend, 90% extend, 50% extend? I think it'll be over 50% for sure. That's a hard number to grasp. If I had to take a stab at it, I'd probably say because it's in pockets, because you know those two herbicide technologies are mutually exclusive, and a lot of people plant, you know, if, if it kind of is a chain reaction. If your neighbor's doing it already and established, then uh, they don't want injury, so they find a variety that will fit there, or they should because we, we saw what happened last year. So it, it's real pocketed in nature a lot of times when you see these um, different technologies. I'd agree with that, and I think it goes back prior to the current technologies. You know, even pulling in soybeans into this particular part of the conversation, you know, we'd have pockets of Liberty Link soybeans, and we'd have pockets of phytogen cotton where we were using the wide strike to, to spray Liberty on. Mm -hmm. And so they'd kind of track with the Liberty Link soybean acres. And I think that's what we see now. I mean, we can sit here today and kind of predict, at least based on the past couple of years, where the endless cotton is going to land, yep. just you know, using history as a perspective. And, and based on what I saw last year where most of the uh, endless cotton was, I feel like for the most part, you'll probably see it popping up in the same areas. And that might maybe – 35, 40%. Are we gonna, do we have any that's not one or the other? Not that I'm aware of. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not either. Tom, I saw your radar kick up when he mentioned the nematode-resistant varieties, so uh, I know you're, that's a subject near and dear to your heart. I definitely wanted to ask him, and, and, and more along the lines, that I think that those new traits that are available in those phytogen varieties, I think, offer farmers an outstanding means to manage the reniform nematode. So, Brian, do you see our acres of those particular varieties increasing as a means for farmers to manage the reniform nematode through varietal resistance? I do to some degree, especially, you know, in the Delta. You know, I don't know if it's actually uh, the yield potentials any greater, but if you're in a reniform infested area, it's going to appear that way, if that makes any sense. Um, and then, if for some reason they're not able to get corn in and, and they know that they have a nematode problem, I think it's a good tool to have in your shed. Well, and we should mention that the strange thing about nematodes and how they account for resistance or they factor that into what that variety is or the response that it gets when it's in the presence of that nematode is the reniform nematode will not 
reproduce very much in the presence of that particular variety. So that is a means of reducing the population that's present in that field situation. And you mentioned corn. Corn's an out, outstanding rotational crop for reniform nematode. But in some situations, you're aware that farmers would have an instance where they may not be able to pencil in corn or they want to stay where they're planting cotton on historical ground. And having that option of being able to plant a reniform resistant variety is definitely attractive for some farmers that have that uh, reniform nematode present in their soils. That's where that, the fit for that variety is because it actually reduces the numbers. Where do y'all rank nematodes on the scale of important pests of cotton? And I say scale because in my mind, if I have a field that has a severe nematode problem, then it's clicking on up pretty close to the top of the list for me. Whereas if I've got maybe a farm that doesn't have as much history of, of cotton production, maybe pigweeds is you know, what drives most of my decisions. So just y'all thinking about things you know, differently than I do, because obviously I'm always going to track toward the pigweeds. I'd be interested to know what y'all thought on where that falls in the hierarchy. I'd say just sitting here thinking about it and you asking that question, I'd definitely say top three in a cotton production system would be nematodes in general. That's what I would have said. And the hard part is, is that one, you have to know which nematode you have present because we have multiple nematode species that can impact cotton. Reniform, root knot, lance nematode would be the three major ones. And throughout the state of Mississippi, there are definitely pockets of all three of those. But the interesting thing to note is, is that Reniform can impact both soybean and cotton, but it definitely impacts cotton uh, more severely than it does soybean. Uh, and we've done plenty of trials here to try to manage that in Stoneville. Uh, so having that varietal resistance is, is definitely important for farmers to be aware of that type of strategy for management and to know that, that they can rely on that to help reduce uh, the populations present within their soils. You're the the expert on this, but from an agronomic in the field type um, response, what what my answer would be is it's very seasonal and very um, you notice it on a year to year basis. When when a cotton plant's not starved from anything, let's say it has adequate water, adequate nutrition, it's not going to show up as bad. But if you start to limit one of those factors, get in a drought situation, you can't irrigate or maybe you lost, leached your nitrogen earlier, or something is limiting you, then you're really going to notice it. So, You don't think about nematodes as much in July and August. So what I'm thinking is, you know, say it's the 15th of July, maybe you, you missed a bunch of pigweeds with your last herbicide application, so you're starting to get some, some weeds poking out of the canopy. The insects are just, you know, overrunning you, and you're having a hard time keeping up on those. Well, nematodes are kind of out of sight, out of mind, right, Tom? So, Well, and they, yeah, I, I usually jokingly say it's a politics or perception issue. If, if you look, that's something that impacts the roots, and a lot of times when you're looking across a field, sometimes that's not the first thing that comes to mind if the plants look a little less thrifty than others. So pulling those plants out of the ground is really important to look to see what's happening to those roots because the bulk or the importance of that plant in a lot of cases is below the ground because that's where you're getting your water and your nutrition and everything else. The hard part is, is if you pull that plant out of the ground, you dig it out of the ground and you look at the roots, if it's reniform nematode, 
you don't see anything on those roots with your eyes to tell you that that's what the problem is. Yeah, and I know I've brought you some plants over the years that just made you kind of go, huh, that's interesting. Yeah, absolutely, and, and they, can, they can be a head-scratcher, uh, and, and a lot of times that's one of the last things to think about because it's not something you see when you look across the field. I also like it when Tom says, that's not possible. Like, oh, yeah, uh, actually it is. <laughs> well, you know, we all still have things to learn. <laughs> I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just telling you what I'm looking at, and that's what I'm looking at. All right, Brian, moving ahead, getting on closer to planning. So we got a few weeks left. What do we need to be thinking about, talking about, planning for as we move on towards dropping some seed in the ground obviously you want to think about your your weed control i mean at this point you should be burned down or at least thinking about it um which what is interesting to me being in this role for a year what i what i've noticed is the different theories behind with the western side of the state and the hills i mean there is two totally different methodologies um in the delta you, you see a lot of fall applied burn downs clean all winter long and really get kind of antsy if you see a few weeds popping through between now and in planting time it's quite the opposite on the east side of the state where you see more cover crops and if, if it's not a cover crop you see you know just more winter cover and uh, and they encourage that and they want to see that and and they terminate it, it you know at the last minute and, and and a lot of times in the cover crop they're planting into it green because they say it does better there is some cover crop in the delta i could just hear my my dad now basically if 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 he had a cover crop he's like when can we kill it when can we kill it you know just to, oh no doubt my dad know, my dad is the same one like, how soon can we kill this this thing uh, and that that's been interesting for me um but at this point you know you need to be thinking about that um obviously if you're going to plant into it green you know you're going to probably roll it down plant it and then and then terminate it you know soon thereafter or the other rule of thumb is you know about three weeks out you want to try to have that terminated from i think insect pest you know it's not exactly up my my wheelhouse but obviously that that aspect of it does make sense um so you, you want to be sure you're doing that and you also want to think about um your herbicide mix and now we're getting to the window where you, you got to look at especially your group four herbicides with 30-day plant backs you don't want to get in a situation where you, you apply, let's say, 2,4-D two weeks before you're ready to go out there. Word of caution, with the technologies that we mentioned, those are all, you know, four group four herbicides, but the burndown applications don't apply. So, for example, if you do put out 2,4-D and you plant in list cotton, that doesn't waive the pre-plant interval for your you know, 2,4-D amine treatment that you might have put out in burn down. That would only apply if you used the actual enlist formulation. And then the, the dicamba products are the same way. Mm -hmm. I think this year, across the board, we're off to a strong start on burn down. Uh, we got some out early with some of the dry weather we had during the winter. Uh, but I think for the most part, we're off to a strong start on weed control. You know, you mentioned the the pre-plant intervals outside of those auxins and maybe valor, you know, flumioxis, and we don't have a lot of terribly restrictive pre-plant intervals for cotton uh, among the products that we're, we're actually, you know, considering getting on a, a cotton acre. And I would say if, if you're on the fence and you, you want to put something out or you don't want to spend the money, if you're 
road up and ready to go, you can always, you know, at planning, try to take care of some stuff. If, if you, you think you can wait and you feel kind of like you might be throwing your money away, I would weigh all of my options. Just the nature of cotton, the vigor of cotton, much, much higher likelihood that we're going to have a do-all in front of the planter comparing that with soybeans where you know we're more than likely going to plant stale and that influences the timing of your pre-herbicides as well so most of our cotton pre's they're going on after the planter in the on the acres that we're using though you know as always we close these podcasts off really thanking our audience because we're extremely appreciative of the support we get from the agricultural community and we'd like everybody to to realize that you know we're we're pretty approachable Call us, track us down on Twitter, email us, you know, feel free to ask us those tough questions. And, and, you know, if you need the one-on-one help, feel free to contact us whenever you need us. Brian, good to see you, man. You too. See y'all. The Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast is a production of Mississippi State University Extension.